This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 12 of AFF On Air. It is Saturday, the 1st of June, 2019, and I'm your host, Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, how to fly Virgin Australia business class for less than half of the usual price, tips on redeeming and earning frequent flyer points, find out what happened when I made the dumbest travel mistake I've ever made over the last fortnight. And I chat to Lance Chow, who's one of the award flight assist consultants over at our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. That's coming up later in the episode, but first let's take a look as always at what's making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And firstly, the Australian International Air Services Commission has blocked a proposed expansion of the co-chair agreement between Qantas and Cathay Pacific. Qantas had wanted permission to co-chair with Cathay Pacific on flights between Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Hong Kong. This would have offered some benefits such as increased frequent flyer points and status credit earn and lounge access benefits to frequent flyers with Qantas and Cathay Pacific. But Virgin Australia, as the only other airline in the Australia to Hong Kong market, strongly objected to the proposal. It cited concerns that the alliance would give the two airlines even more market power to the detriment of competition and ultimately to the travelling public. Qantas and Cathay Pacific already have a combined market share of 90% on routes between Australia and Hong Kong, meaning they already dominate the market. Australian regulators agreed with Virgin's concerns and will block the proposal. Etihad Airways has started charging for snacks and drinks in economy class. Etihad still offers complimentary meals and some drinks on its flights, but passengers wanting something extra to eat or drink outside of the designated meal times will have to now pay extra. Culinary delights on Etihad's new buy-on-board menu include blueberry muffins and chocolate cookies, both of which will cost you $7.00. And tea and coffee on Etihad will now cost you $4. And considering that all of Etihad's flights from Australia to Abu Dhabi are more than 14 hours with only two meal services at the start and end of the flight, it's not hard to imagine that a lot of passengers are going to be left pretty hungry on Etihad. It's just the latest in a series of cost-cutting measures employed by Etihad, which is still claiming to be a full-service airline. Last month, Etihad lost its five-star Skytrax rating. Yet another airline has gone out of business. This time, it's Avianca Brazil, a Star Alliance airline that is based, obviously, in Brazil. Last month, 18 of the airline's 25 aircraft were repossessed, meaning the airline was already running a skeleton operation of around just 30 flights a day over the last few weeks. But then last Friday, Brazil's aviation regulator finally put the airline out of its misery by grounding it, citing safety concerns. To be clear, Avianca Brazil is a separate entity to Avianca, which is based in Colombia. Avianca itself, which operates the Life Miles Frequent Fly program, is still flying. Qantas is giving away free lounge passes to passengers aged between 18 and 35 who book an international Qantas flight departing from Australia by the 31st of August. The travel can take place any time until February next year, and the lounge pass gets you access to any of Qantas's international business class lounges in Australia. And there's some good news for Australians heading over to the UK. The United Kingdom has finally opened up its passport e-gates to Australian passport holders, meaning that you won't have to queue up for ages anymore to speak to an immigration officer, as long as you're not travelling with children. 
the UK has also ditched those landing cards that you used to have to fill out on the plane. It's now possible to redeem Qantas frequent flyer points to fly to Taipei with China Airlines. China Airlines flies modern Airbus A350s from Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane to Taipei, and there is currently very good award availability in economy, premium economy and business class on these routes. And what's more, the carrier charges on China Airlines are quite low, making this also a very good use of Qantas points. Unfortunately, it is only possible, though, to redeem Qantas frequent flyer points on China Airlines on those specific routes between Australia and Taipei. China Airlines also flies from Brisbane to Auckland, and of course, they have many other flights out of Taipei, but they are not available for redemption using Qantas points. And China Airlines, despite the name, is based in Taiwan. Air New Zealand has, meanwhile, just released a whole bunch of premium cabin award availability on its flights to frequent flyers with Star Alliance partner airlines. And that means that right now it's possible to redeem uh, Singapore Airlines, Chris Fly Miles, United Miles, Avianca Life Miles, or actually any other Star Alliance currency other than AirPoints, mind you, which is uh, Air New Zealand's own program, uh, for seats on Air New Zealand flights. And this is something that is very, very rare and something that we don't expect to last for very long. Uh, We've seen business class seats over the last few days on Air New Zealand flights from Auckland to destinations including Los Angeles, San Francisco, Honolulu, Tokyo Narita, uh, Osaka, Hong Kong, Singapore, and even Buenos Aires. And I have never seen Air New Zealand releasing seats to Argentina, so that is a big plus. Airlines could soon start pricing airfares based on what they think you're willing to pay for a ticket. The global distribution system Amadeus, which is used by airlines all over the world, including Qantas, has already developed a system which it calls Amadeus Dynamic Pricing, and this could see airlines' revenues increasing by as much as 7% as the airlines tailor prices to individual passengers. And finally, tourists visiting Tanzania have been warned not to bring any plastic into the country after it implemented a complete ban on plastic effective from today. Special counters have been set up at the airports in Dar es Salaam and Zanzibar, where arriving tourists can surrender any plastic bags that they haven't yet disposed of. There are a few exceptions like medical packaging and sanitary Ziploc bags, things like that. But otherwise, visitors to Tanzania that are caught with plastic bags could face heavy fines. Tanzania is the 34th African nation to either ban or tax plastic bags for environmental reasons. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, subscribe to the Australian Frequent Fly Gazette or follow us on Facebook. I realised that I haven't answered any listener questions in the last few episodes, so I wanted to take some time in this episode to talk about some of the things that you have been asking me about. And firstly, thanks so much to everyone who's asked a question or left a comment in the AFF On Air discussion thread. I particularly did enjoy the feedback from TD Parley. I hope I've pronounced your, your handle correctly. And this member wrote... Loving the podcast, great listening in the car on the way to and from work. As I finish listening to one podcast, I can't wait for the next one. Great information and easy listening. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for that review, (laughs) TD Parley. I really appreciate that. If you would like to leave a comment or question yourself, you can find a link to the AFF on air discussion thread in the episode notes. Or alternatively, if you go to the AFF community homepage, 
It's uh, This thread is located in the AFF On Air podcast forum, which is in the community resources section. So you can find it there. Uh, a few episodes ago, you may remember that I spoke to Alan about uh, redeeming or buying and redeeming British Airways Avios for relatively cheap Qantas flights. The prices for Avios redemptions on partner airlines, including Qantas, did go up last Thursday, and they were pretty much as we expected. So um, for flights under 650 miles in length uh, on BA's partner airlines, such as Qantas, the economy awards have gone up from 4,500 Avios to 6,000 Avios. And for business class redemptions, there's been a bit of a jump from 9,000 Avios to 12,500 Avios. So it's a bit of a shame that that was really the sweet spot in the British Airways Executive Club program. But unfortunately, the rest of the redemptions have only gone up gone up by relatively small amounts. So there is still some value, as we spoke about, in the British Airways Executive Club program. But I had a question from Daft009 on the AFF on Air discussion thread. And this member asks, are there any equivalents for Virgin? And the answer is yes, there are. So Virgin Australia, as we know, partners with Etihad Airways, and you can buy Etihad guest miles from directly from Etihad Airways and redeem those for Virgin Australia flights. And this can actually work out to be very, very good value. Etihad sells miles for twenty US dollars per thousand, and there are sometimes uh, discounts and bonuses available. Uh, unfortunately, Etihad's most recent sale actually ended yesterday. But uh, they were for the last few weeks offering up to 20% bonus miles on uh, any purchase of Etihad guest miles. Now, yeah, that promo did end, but the offers do seem to come around every few months. So I'm sure there'll be another one sooner or later. Um, So, yeah, keep an eye out for those. And we also do publicize these kinds of offers in the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette. So if you haven't already subscribed to the Gazette, you may wish to subscribe. You can do that by... uh, clicking on the Freak Flyer Gazette uh, link in the toolbar, which is at the top of every page on Australian Frequent Flyer. It can be a good deal to buy Etihad guest miles, even if they're not on sale, mind you, because Etihad guest redemptions on Virgin Australia's short-haul flights are very, very good value. All flights under 1,250 miles in length cost exactly the same number of Etihad guest miles. It's 6,900 miles for economy or 13,800 miles for business class. And on top of that, you also, of course, need to pay the taxes, but they are just the government and airport charges, so usually very low and quite reasonable amounts that you need to be paying. Yeah, all flights under 1,250 miles in length are good value because for a flight that's uh, not that far off the threshold, if you're redeeming with a different program, such as Velocity, you're going to be paying quite a lot more points. And... There are some particularly good value routes here which are just under that threshold. For example, Sydney to Queenstown just fits in. So Sydney to Queenstown is only 6,900 Etihad guest miles in economy, um, even though that's a you know a three-hour international flight. Uh, also Sydney to Cairns, Melbourne to Hamilton Island fits in there, Brisbane to Port Vila is another one. And uh, even if you're booking an economy, routes like Perth to Broome, which are usually uh, quite expensive if you're paying for a ticket, can be pretty good value, 6,900 Etihad guest miles in economy. And reward flights in the next zone, so that's uh, flights with a distance of between 1,251 miles and 1,750 miles are also pretty good value. So for that range, we're looking at 10,900 Etihad guest miles in economy class, or 21,800 miles for business. And routes such as Melbourne to Perth and Brisbane to Nadi fall into this category. 
And these routes are particularly interesting because you can, on some flights, get the Airbus A330 with the lie flat, the business uh, suites in the front of the plane. And by buying miles and redeeming them on those routes, you're getting a really a very good deal and you're going to be paying much less than the commercial ticket price. Uh, Melbourne to Perth, of course, is operated by A330s quite regularly. Brisbane to Nardi um, is generally a Boeing 737 route. So obviously on the 737, the business class seats are just recliners, uh, not quite as as flash. Um, but Brisbane to Nardi and actually also Sydney and Melbourne to Nardi do sometimes get the A330s during busy periods over the weekend. So keep an eye out for those. Now, unfortunately, for long-haul uh, Virgin Australia redemptions, Etihad redemptions are terrible value, so it's uh, it's really only the short-haul that we're interested in. But just as a data point for you, at a 20% bonus, you can purchase 13,800 Etihad miles, which is what you need for a uh, business class flight up to 1,250 miles, remember? And that's going to cost you 230 US dollars. Uh, and at today's not terribly great, I might add, exchange rate, um, that works out to be 330 Australian dollars. Now, that's well under half the price of a business class ticket to New Zealand or on a route like Sydney to Cairns. Um, and in fact, I think you'd be hard pressed to get any commercial uh, ticket on a Virgin Australia flight uh, in business class for under $330. That amount, mind you, does not include the taxes. But uh, I would note also that you can, uh, as well as purchasing Etihad Guest Miles outright, you can also transfer American Express uh, membership rewards points to Etihad Guest. And um, if you're going to be booking domestic Virgin Australia flights, it's worth looking at this as well as velocity, because on a route like Sydney to Cairns, you're going to be paying for business class 35,500 velocity points, or if Etihad Guest, only 13,800 miles. So the difference can be... uh, can be pretty big and booking with Etihad Guest here is obviously a no-brainer. Now, there are a couple of downsides, unfortunately, with Etihad Guest. Uh, one of them is that you can't book partner awards online. So if you're redeeming Etihad Guest miles to book on Virgin Australia, you do need to call up. Uh, if you're lucky, you'll get through to the Serbian call center, which I seem to do that uh, mostly these days. So that's the, that's the Etihad call center based in Belgrade. If you get through to there, you should be okay, uh, although some of the agents at their other call centers uh, are not great. And if you're having trouble booking, the usual advice of uh, hang up and call again, or huwaka for short, um, does apply there. Uh, the other issue with uh, redeeming Eddie guest miles is that the prices are only for point-to-point flights. So if you need to connect somewhere, you're going to be paying the sum of the two flights. And in that case, it may actually be better value just to use velocity points because then you're going to be paying for the total distance rather than for individual sectors. Now, I also received uh, recently a few questions from an AFF member with the handle of FIRST. I assume that uh, is referring to first class, which of course everyone aspires to. But this person writes, Hey Matt, really enjoying the podcast and the advice it provides, and it's great to get details of upcoming changes and promotions and deals. What I would like to have covered is around the starting out with collecting of frequent flyer points. At what point should people focus from, uh, or switch focus rather, from seeking offers and deals and accumulating points to digging into the deeper layers like expert flyer? Uh, well, firstly, <laughs> pardon the pun, I don't think uh, that you ever really stop seeking out deals. But to answer your question, I think that you should be starting to plan for how you want to spend the points and start thinking about how you're actually going to redeem them before you even start with the earning. 
Uh, and I say that because without a plan in mind, you're not really um, aiming for anything in particular and you don't know if it's even possible to book the award that you're aiming for. So you could end up, for example, you might earn half a million Qantas points in the hope of uh, booking a couple of return tickets to Europe in business class only to find that when you actually try to redeem the points, and I've seen this happen so often, there's no availability when you want to go. And even if there is availability, you're having to spend $3,000 or thereabouts on taxes and fuel surcharges on top of the points. And all this time, instead of earning Qantas points, which you can't really use, you could have instead been earning Chris Flyer miles. And with Chris Flyer, just as an example, you would have been able to get the two seats quite easily on the dates you wanted, and you're paying barely more than $300 in taxes for two people. So I guess my point is if you if you don't know what you're aiming for and you don't know that the reward is actually possible to book, you're just blindly earning points that you may never be able to use, and that's not really smart. Now, in terms of Expert Flyer and other tools like Expert Flyer, it is a definitely a useful tool for finding award availability. So if you're actually ready to redeem the points and you're having trouble finding seats or you, you're looking for availability on airlines that you can't find elsewhere online, it can be very useful for that. But Expert Flyer also has many other useful uses that can be handy if you're flying regularly, such as the real-time seat maps, access to flight loading information, you can look up the on-time performance of flights, uh, set seat alerts and things like that. So if you're flying enough, say, to earn silver status, or you're flying enough that you think it's worthwhile to get a lounge membership, that's probably the threshold that I would say that purchasing an expert flyer subscription might be worth it for you. And keep in mind that if you are an AFF Gold member, you can get a 15% discount on an expert flyer subscription. Now, the next question from First says, uh, given the changing nature of points and reward redemptions, what advice can you offer about managing the balancing act of planning ahead and obtaining points? That's a good follow-up question uh, for what I was just talking about. And yeah, in Australia, well, most points are actually earned from credit cards and not from flying. Uh, So that's probably where you're going to get the majority of your points. And so my advice would be to earn points with a flexible rewards program that allows you to transfer the points to a range of different airlines as required, such as Amex membership rewards or Diners Club points, Westpac Altitude, NAB rewards, ANZ rewards points, or so on. All of these programs have multiple different airline transfer partners that you can transfer the points to as you need them, and the points won't expire as long as you keep your credit card open. ComBank also has its own rewards program, but for reasons I spoke about in the last episode, I would probably stay away from ComBank. And also, I would probably stay away from the direct earn cards, unless you have a specific reason to be earning uh, points with a card that only earns Qantas points or only earns velocity points. I would stay away from them because they're locking you into having to use those points with that airline. And it's taking away the flexibility that makes uh, earning credit card points generally so valuable. The other thing I would say is to earn and burn. Don't save up points without spending them. Change, unfortunately, in the frequent flyer game is inevitable and your points are only going to lose value or remain exactly the same value over time. And at the end of the day, it is a game. So personally, uh, at the moment, I only have about 20,000 Qantas points in my account. But over the last year or so, I've spent about half a million points and I've been able to redeem some 
uh, for some absolutely fantastic trips, some of which I still haven't taken, but they're coming up very soon. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have those experiences rather than just let the point sitting there in the hope that Qantas doesn't announce an evaluation tomorrow. And for a while as well, my Velocity Frequent Flyer account had one point in it um, until a few weeks ago when I transferred a small amount over in their latest uh, promotion. Now, the next question is, I'm looking at a trip to the USA via the West Coast. So let's say um, to Los Angeles with Virgin in early October. Now, it looks like I should have planned a year in advance in order to have any chance to get reward flights, but I didn't have enough points then. How much of a mistake is spending points on a non-reward seat, such as the points plus pay or any seat? Uh, It looks like terrible value. Um, Yes, it is terrible value. Actually, it's appalling value. Um, So I think you've answered your own question there. Now, yes, it's true that redeeming 11 months out is generally the way to go. But in your case, I would um, you haven't uh, specified which class of travel you wish to take to Los Angeles. But if it's economy, I think you should still be okay with finding some award availability now. Even if it's not on a direct flight from, say, from Sydney to Los Angeles, maybe you might find something via Hawaii with Hawaiian Airlines or maybe something for out of Brisbane or Melbourne. Now, if it's premium economy, Delta has recently had pretty good availability on its Sydney to Los Angeles flight in premium economy. So you may still have some luck there. And if it's business class, I would point out that Virgin Australia doesn't release any reward seats until about a week before the flight anyway on its flights to and from Los Angeles. So you uh, wouldn't have been able to book them 11 months out anyway. Um, You do, if you wait until a week out, of course, run the risk of no seats being released at all. And if it's a busy period like school holidays, that is quite a risk. But it is, uh, yeah, it's a risk that you have to take. I would say if you can find a seat now in economy or premium, book that and then uh, try and uh, change that to a business seat just before the flight departs if you can get the availability. And at least that way, if you don't get a business seat, at least you're not stuck without a flight at all. But yeah, in terms of redeeming points for a points plus pay or an any seat award, basically all this all this is is the airline taking your points and converting them at a fixed rate, which is of course favorable to the airline, to the cash fare price. And it basically means that you're redeeming the points for cash back. And in this case, the cents per point that you're getting uh, in value for each of your points is really quite bad. Uh, it's still better than redeeming for gift vouchers or toasters, but still not great at all. So... I would really, uh, if you can, redeem for a reward seat or otherwise save the points and buy a cash fare. And the last question is, for multi-leg journeys, is there a way to use points to upgrade for just one leg of the trip? And yes, absolutely you can. Um, In fact, most upgrades are processed on a per-sector basis only. Just make sure that you do familiarize yourself with the upgrade rules. So on Qantas International flights, for example, upgrades are a lottery and they're processed... um, based on um, your status. So the platinum members are going to get priority over the gold members and so on. Uh, On Qantas domestic flights, Virgin Australia domestic and Virgin short haul international, you can upgrade on any flight as long as you've booked in an eligible fare class and there is award availability on the flight in business class. But for Virgin Australia long haul, which is to Los Angeles and Hong Kong, you can only upgrade if A, you've booked a freedom fare, which is the expensive economy tickets, B, you have either gold or platinum velocity status, and C, there is business reward availability at the time of of placing the request. I'm going to take a quick break now. When I return, I'll be joined by Lance Chow, who is one of the award flight assist consultants over at Frequent Flyer Solutions. Back shortly. Hi, this is Clifford Reichlin 
founder of the Australian Frequent Flyer. I trust you're enjoying this episode of AFF on Air. Matt does a great job, doesn't he? Do you know that you can tap directly into Matt's knowledge at Frequent Flyer Solutions, our premium service? Go to frequentflyer.com.au for more information. Welcome back. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that Australian Frequent Flyer has a sister website called Frequent Flyer Solutions. And one of the services that is offered by Frequent Flyer Solutions is the Award Flight Assist Service. So if you're having trouble maybe using your Frequent Flyer points or you're not sure how to use them the most effective way for a trip you're trying to book, you can get in touch with us and uh, we can help you to redeem those points for a great trip. And uh, we have uh, a few different award travel consultants that work over at Frequent Flyer Solutions. And one of the unique things about our team is we are all ourselves frequent flyers. And so I'm joined today by uh, one of our consultants. We both happen to be at the moment in the Netherlands. And we're sitting uh, at the moment uh, just by a canal in the city of Utrecht. So joining me today is Lance Chow, who is, you may know him on AFF as M.M. Chow is his username. And uh, he's uh, one of our wonderful award travel consultants. Welcome to the podcast, Lance. Oh, thank you. Thank, thanks, Matt, for the introduction. Great to uh, catch up in the Netherlands of all places. So you've just been in Europe a couple of days. Can you tell me how did you get over to Europe? Did you use points or did you find another deal or what did you do? So I actually paid for the ticket. I've actually got a deal with um, Fine. Um, at that point in time, they were having a sale on, managed to get a ticket from Bangkok to, to Europe for a return ticket for 2300 approximately. And then there was a, a um, just I think in February where they had the double status credit sale um, with Qantas. I actually bought a ticket um, from Melbourne to Bangkok for Sydney um, for about $3,200 which is for, for me it, it is actually alright I'm all the way to all the way from Melbourne to Europe in business and it basically um, adds my status credit to maintain my platinum status for another year oh that's great so you've spent about four, five and a half thousand dollars and you've got a, a a return trip to Europe with a stop in Bangkok on the way business class all the way and you've got platinum for another year it sounds like a pretty good deal to me and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's nice to see people taking advantage of those cheaper business class tickets that you can sometimes get out of Asia it's uh, you can get some much better deals than what you can get out of uh, out of Australia. There seems to be this Australia tax that uh, airlines tack on for no real good reason. Yeah, and uh, you flew Finnair from uh, Bangkok to Amsterdam with obviously via Helsinki. What was the service like on Finnair? That's right. This is my first time on Finnair flight, and I actually it was surprisingly quite uh, quite good. Um, the flight from it was a morning flight from Bangkok to Helsinki. The flight got delayed by about 15 minutes, um, taking taking off, and um, we had to fly. I think the Iran airspace was closed, so we have to do, do a bit of a detour, and we actually arrived about half an hour late, which you know shortened the connection time from Helsinki to Amsterdam. But overall, the service was great. Um, the the cabin crew was very attentive. The food was was actually quite quite delicious, and um, I enjoyed the cocktails. Um, the 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 bilberry cocktail, I think, um, with Finland gin in it. I think I had way too many. <laughs> Did you try the reindeer? 
Well, unfortunately, there's no reindeer for that service. Um, I can't. I, I think I had the chicken instead, but um, it was it was it was delicious. It was quite good. Um, I think um, the portion size was well balanced, and I think it's it's adequate. You know, you get three course meal, and then throughout the flight, they bring snacks out, ice creams, fish sweets, and treats, and um, some cakes and cookies as well, which is you know quite delicious to go with uh, the, the coffee that they serve on board. As uh, as someone who's often building award itineraries for people, you're probably aware that uh, Finnair sells some very short connection times in Helsinki. Uh, sometimes the connection time is only you know 50, 55 minutes. Uh, how, how long did you have, and what, was it enough time? I had actually 50 minutes, and um, by the time we arrived, it's pro- we probably only had about you know 35 minutes of, of connection time. And fortunately, the, um, the the flight from Amsterdam, sorry, from Helsinki to Amsterdam, um, got delayed by about 10 minutes as well. And I actually spoken to the one of the cabin crew and asked whether I'll be able to make the connection. And they got in touch with uh, Helsinki Airport, and um, and basically. They advise us that the flight will actually wait for us, but we need to run. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and uh, often uh, one of the questions I get asked by award flight assist customers is um, if, if we're trying to give them a short connection through Helsinki is, do I have enough time? Um, you know, there might be an only an hour between flights. And generally the answer seems to be yes. It seems to be a pretty well set up airport. Uh, now, Lance, you're uh, quite knowledgeable about quite a lot of different frequent flyer programs, which is obviously why uh, why we hired you to be an award travel consultant. Uh, can you tell me what uh, frequent flyer programs have you used to book flights, and do you have a favourite? I'm a member with uh, Qantas, which, well, living in Australia, Qantas points is one of the um, you know easiest way easiest point to accrue on. Um, Virgin Australia is also the other one. Chris flies mainly on with American um, American Express. Express, um, credit card, and um, Cathay Pacific, and that's the main four programs that I use to have um, points with. Um, in terms of a favorite um, program, I would have to say Chris Flyers, uh, simply because um, I love Singapore Airlines because of, of their service and the, the products that they had. Um, but then again, um, the reason why I like Singapore Airlines is because it allows me to travel back home um, easily because I live in Malaysia and one of the, the, the number of miles and number of points required to get from Melbourne to Singapore is not too expensive. It's only 58000 Well, that was pre-devaluation. It's actually, I think it's sixty. Two now, if I'm not mistaken, but still, it's still um, affordable in that sense in, in comparison to um, with Qantas um, with the hefty taxes. Okay, and uh, you were telling me that uh, you have booked a round-the-world trip using kind of a, a combination of sweet spots in different frequent flyer programs. I'd love to know what you booked and how you booked it. Right, I did a round-the-world trip in first class back in 2016 um, so I do have <laughs> Skyward miles that's expiring so I think I had about 50,000 um, miles that um, is expiring within six months time and I can't remember how much I've got probably I got about 300,000 Skyward miles um, sitting in that account so I thought you know I don't want to let that 50,000 miles expiring so I thought why don't I just see what I can um, do with that mile so I started planning out a trip um, thinking you know I haven't been to Dubai so let's you know um, find find somewhere to, somewhere to fly with from Dubai almost so I ended up booking a, a first class flight from Melbourne to Abu Dhabi with Etihad Airways with Virgin Australia um, a mixture of Virgin in Australia and also American Airlines so I booked my tickets with Virgin and I booked my partner's ticket with American Airlines 
Um, and then from to make my own way from Abu Dhabi to Dubai, and I flew from Dubai to New York with Emirates in first class. Um, spent a couple of days in New York, um, and then from New York, I used um, a mixture of Qantas points um, from New York to Hong Kong with Cathay Pacific via Vancouver, um, and also American Airlines points as well, because at that point in time, it was only about 70,000 American Airlines from New York to Hong Kong, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then from Hong Kong, I um, spent a couple of days there and I flew back to Melbourne um, via Singapore with Singapore Airlines in their A380 suite class um, and spent a couple of days in Singapore. Uh, it sounds like a, yeah, a really fantastic trip. I'm curious, uh, that uh, Cathay Pacific flight from New York to Vancouver, it's a, obviously a fifth freedom tag flight. That's one that we, we often um, use uh, when we're trying to find a ward availability for people because they, it's one of the few flights across North America that actually has availability. And obviously, if you're booking business class or first class on that flight, you're getting a, you know, an excellent international product on Cathay Pacific rather than you know, maybe a recliner seat on Air Canada or American Airlines. So I'm curious though, if you're flying all the way through to Hong Kong, did you need to get a visa for Canada and did you need to like exit the plane in Vancouver? What was the procedure there? So we were not aware that we need a visa to um, for 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 a transit via Vancouver in this case. So we got we rock up to the airport, um, and you know we were quite early, we were three hours early into it. And when we checked in, and they were asking us whether we have a visa to enter Canada, and they said that you do need a visa to even though you're transiting through Vancouver. We were panicking at that point in time because we don't we, we, we don't know what to do and luckily they advised us that you can actually get a, uh, a Canadian visa on the spot so we step aside we open up a computer and start applying for our visa so I think we paid about 14 um, Canadian dollars or 14 US dollars for the visa um, and yeah we were granted the visa um, within the next five minutes so that that was that is handy okay I actually didn't realize that that was the case before I asked the question so I'm glad I asked <laughs> And um, with the Ward Flight Assist, we get lots and lots of different types of, uh, of requests from customers. Um, sometimes we just uh, have uh, clients that want help with booking a one-way flight, um, maybe um, overseas somewhere, or sometimes we also get on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes complex round-the-world itineraries with uh, multiple passengers. And, and sometimes we also get requests where people are trying to use, they have uh, small amounts of points in lots of different programs and want to try and piece them together. So we get some, we get some really uh, interesting challenges. Uh, Lance, do you have a, a favourite type of request to work on as an award travel consultant? I think um, one of my favorite is the uh, round the world ticket because um, obviously I've try I'm, I'm building up you know the the the, play the, the many places um, uh, the, the many countries I like to visit and you know I'm having the understanding of where 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 to fly into and you know and out to and connecting the flights and so on so it, it is quite interesting um, to me so in order for me to do that I'll need to you know get a little bit more you know uh, resources and all the information that I need to 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 build that and I actually like to do a lot of research on that um, by looking up you know what where I can fly into and out to and um, and yeah that's one just one of my favorite. And Lance, on the accrual side of things, do you have a favorite Australian credit card that you use? Yes, I do. Well, I used to have an American Express uh, credit card, and that's one of my favorite program. Um, um, but since the devaluation, I have actually started, you know, um, going to, um, with uh, Citibank Rewards now, um, simply because they had an offer going on for I think it was three hundred ten thousand points, um, where I can accrue fifteen thousand points every month when I spend um, one thousand um, dollars, and it's 
easily achievable for me. And I thought uh, I like the you know I like the currency in the sense that I can bank it without having the need to transfer the points out. Um, and I, if whenever I need to transfer the points out, I can do it um, at any time. Um, and at the same time, I also have um, uh, um, accrual with uh, Qantas. Um, I've been you know signing up uh, credit cards with Qantas or Virgin Australia as well. And my final question, Lance: Do you have a favorite destination? Well, this is my first time to Europe. I would ha- I would say Europe um, as a, as a one of my favorite. Um, like Netherlands is one of my. F- uh, it's, it's it's a very pretty country. But uh, prior to this, uh, my favorite destination is Canada. Um, simply because um, I've, uh, the, the the greenery, the, the the scenery, and the air um, in Canada is just so different, and the people there are very friendly as well and very laid back. Everything seems to be, you know, um, there's no rushing to to get to a point and. You just take it easy. It's, it's really, really re- relaxing. Canada, eh? <laughs> well, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Lance, for uh, joining me on the podcast. And I wish you a wonderful time in Europe. Thank you, Matt. To wrap up this episode, I wanted to share a quick story about something that happened to me over the last fortnight, or more specifically, something quite stupid that I did. And so while Lance flew uh, over to Amsterdam on Finnair, I flew in on KLM. And uh, when I boarded my flight to Amsterdam, there was a passport inspection at the gate. So when I got onto the plane, I had the passport in my hand. And when I was settling into my seat, I just put the passport into the seat pocket in the seat in front of me, as I have often done in the past. Now, here's where I made a very stupid mistake. After landing in Amsterdam, I was, I was a bit tired and I simply forgot that I had left my passport there. And they, they always say when uh, the plane lands, you know, check for your belongings, take everything with you. I just forgot. And honestly, it was one of the stupidest things I've done because not only did I, I not take it with me, but I didn't realize actually that I'd left my passport there until around three hours after getting off the plane, which is, uh, that yeah, that really wasn't smart. And by that time, of course, the aircraft had already well and truly left um, Amsterdam and it was already operating another flight. I tried calling KLM without much luck. I tried also contacting them on social media. Again, they they were well, they were responsive, but not that helpful. So, I went back to the airport and uh, hoped for the best. And I went over to the the police office where important documents like passports that are found are handed in. They didn't know anything about it. The KLM lost and found desk uh, lost and found desk also knew nothing about my passport. But what I did is I actually, I looked up the registration of the aircraft that had operated my flight and I tracked where it was and I found that the plane was uh, just about to arrive back in Amsterdam after operating another return flight. So I passed this information on to the KLM Lost and Found Desk and uh, told them which seat number I'd been sitting in and uh, they agreed that they would get someone to check the plane when it arrived back in Amsterdam. Unfortunately, they checked and said that my passport was no longer there. Uh, which was obviously quite distressing, and uh, I was really panicking by that point. But uh, I begged them to check one more time, and sure enough, they did actually find it. But uh, by the time they found it, the plane had already uh, reboarded for the next flight, and the doors were already closed, and the plane was pushing back uh, to operate another flight. Uh, and uh, the plane had that <laughs> that particular flight just happened to already be an hour late, so they weren't going to um, return to the gate and open the doors and connect up the bridge just to <laughs> offload my passport. But the quick-thinking pilot actually opened the window of the cockpit and threw my passport out to a ramp, ma- a ground staff on the ramp who was waiting below to catch it, and then <laughs> eventually they were able to uh, to return it to me after that fairly promptly. 
so that that was a huge relief for me. But I guess uh, I'm telling you this story for <laughs> a couple of reasons. There, I think there are two lessons here. Firstly, please take care of your belongings and better care of your stuff than I did, especially important documents. And actually, now I've in, I've um, purchased a travel wallet, which is um, has enough uh, a size to fit my passport in. Uh, so I'm never going to be leaving a, <laughs> my passport in the seat pocket again. But uh, also, if something similar happens to you, be prepared to take ownership of the problem and do a bit of research um, if you need to to try and think of a solution. Because I think if I hadn't have um, passed on that information to the KLM staff about which planes checked and where and where it was and so on, I'm not convinced that my passport would have turned up, especially because um, that day the plane was overnighting in another country uh, outside of KLM's base. Uh, and interestingly, this incident also prompted KLM to review its security procedures because the aircraft had been cleaned three times since I lost my passport and none of the cleaners had actually spotted my passport. And they're supposed to check every seat pocket at the end of every flight and obviously this didn't happen. So it did actually prompt a bit of a review also on the airline's part. Anyway, that's it for another episode of AFF On Air. Thank you as always so much for listening. For more information about anything that's been discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes or visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you normally tune into the podcast. By subscribing or leaving a review, you'll help us to spread the latest news, tips and tricks to more people. So I would definitely appreciate it. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with a special edition of the AFF1Air podcast. Until then, happy flying. Happy flying.